it's all about the mindset of I get up every day. How am I going to help that school win? You know, not how am I going to make the league look better? You know, I'm getting off on some things, but Larry could talk the presidents into things that sounded really good. And the presidents wanted to be an innovative league. That's former Utah Athletic Director Chris Hill sounding off on Larry Scott. He talked about the Pac-12, expansion, and the future of college football. All that and more on a new episode of Konzano and Wilner, the podcast. What's better than one, John? Here's Johnny. Hmm, nobody really knows. That's why we put two of them together. This is Konzano and Wilner, a.k.a. John and John. Super excited to have uh, our guest today in today's episode of Konzano and Wilner, the podcast. We have Chris Hill, the former Utah Athletic Director, on. I'm John Konzano. We're going to hear a great interview with Chris Hill. You can read my work at johnkonzano.com. Get a free subscription or a paid subscription. Uh, whatever works for you works for me. That's what I say. And I'm here with John Wilner of the Bay Area News Group superstar you can read him at pack12hotline.com wilner uh why do we want chris hill on this uh, on this podcast i mean he's the arguably the most relevant voice uh we could have right now in terms of the backdrop of pack 12 expansion because he got utah into the into the pack 12 he knows what you got to do and how the whole process works and it's going to be super relevant for San Diego State and SMU and, and for Pac-12 fans who are wondering what is what goes on inside with the expansion calculation. So relevant as a guest right now. And I want to ask him about Larry Scott, the former Pac-12 commissioner, how much of where the Pac-12 is today, uh, that road started long ago. And Chris Hill was in a lot of those meetings and, and trying to work alongside a commissioner that, that uh, was cumbersome at best to work with. We are delighted to have uh, as our guest this week, Chris Hill, former athletic director at the University of Utah, whose, uh, whose resume is uh, as polished as anybody in the profession. What'd you, what were you there, 30 years in charge of Utah, Chris? Actually, 31. 31, okay. <laughs> An odd Chris, number. Chris hired Rick Majerus, Chris hired Urban Meyer, Kyle Whittingham, and he got the Pac, uh, Utah into the Pac-12 among his many accomplishments, and we are thrilled to have him because Chris is going to bring us insight into the expansion process from the perspective of the schools. Uh, and he's been watching, uh, what did you say, from the cheap seats uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. As, as this whole thing has unfolded. Uh, Chris, I can't, can't wait to uh, ask you about some of, the, some of the details, but how have you been, first of all? I've been good. You know, I, uh, when I retired, I gave myself the overhaul, you know, uh, Cataract surgery, knee replacement, hip replacement, just to tune me up. But I've been good. Been, you know, busy, but not too busy. I don't want to be one of those guys that you talk to when they're retired and they say, oh, I'm busier than I've ever been. No, I don't want to do that. But I'm having fun and involved in some things and grandkids in town. So it's good stuff. How close are you paying attention to what's going on these days in college athletics? I love it. I play real, real close to it. I mean, two of my dear friends retired too. Uh, Greg Marson, who was our great gymnastics coach and Liz Abel and and also Megan Mars. So we we exchange stuff. We read some of your stuff. It's really fun. You know, we've solved all the problems, too. You know, we get together at night and have a few lemonades and boy, we take care of things. Chris, let me ask you, like, just how it feels really complicated right now. And, you know, even like I hear from a lot of fans in the Pac-12 footprint who say, I just want to get back to the football and the basketball and the, the best part about being a fan. But does it feel more complicated to you or was this kind of stuff always going on in the background and it just never was that public? You know, I, I think that it, some things are going on in the background and our involvement was different, you know, cause we went from the WAC to the Mountain West to Pac-12. So we've had some experience with that, but it's so complicated with when you have uh, not only all the conference stuff, but the NIL stuff makes it tough. Also, you know, when you have some of these moves that are out of their area, like UCLA and USC, I mean, they got to do what they got to do, but it is much more complicated because you really, anything almost could happen where years ago it was more geographical. And did you see this coming? Was was the, the extra complications of NIL and transfer portal, whether athletes are going to be deemed employees? Was that part of the reason you, you thought, you know what, 
I don't I don't need to deal with that. I'm good. No, I, I think that we were the, the, all the administrators and coaches were somewhat fighting this thing. And from the president of the NCAA on down and and it years ago, I mean, I, I can remember the there was a skier from Colorado or something that was making money as a skier and he was going to be a punter or something. And they nixed that. And I've always felt, although it was blasphemy to say it, that if a kid could make money on his name, image and likeness in terms of, you know, uh, you know, advertising or whatever, or running a camp using their name. But, you know, the whole collective thing, I didn't really, be honest, anticipated that. All I have teased with people is that, you know, uh, coaches and fans can figure out a lot of things. And, you know, that makes it tough. So long story short, I think it's more complicated because of the NIL and also some of the things that are happening with conferences and just the whole TV markets, things are changing a lot. You guys, when you joined the Pac-12 conference, uh, you you know you hit the ground running, and now you see the success, back-to-back conference championships for Utah in football. Can you help us understand, or maybe even help some of the potential newcomers understand the groundwork that was laid prior to Utah's arrival in the Pac-12? Well, you know, from the longest time, I was I think I said John something that since the mid '90s, we always knew that to advance as a program. You know, we had to be in the Pac-10. That was, you know, that was obvious. But to be in there, you had to keep laying the groundwork and getting better and better, upgrade your facilities, you know, be dressed up and ready to go to be asked to a dance. If you are, there's no tricks there. The president and I used to have a one sheet. You know, one side was athletic accomplishments. The other was academics. We knew our location and, you know, our medical center and that stuff put us in a good position if something were going to happen and we had all upside, you know, there really wasn't much other than working at it. Uh, We kind of knew the lay of the land and wanted to make it easy if somebody wanted us to come in. So that was our background building up. When we got in, I immediately told our president, we've never lost money in 25 years, but we've got to invest. And being an East coast guy long, long time ago on the waterfront, you said, we didn't want to just be in the PAC 12. We wanted to be somebody in the Pac-12. And so that's where we made sure that we were investing in football and basketball, women's basketball, gymnastics, our top visible sports. And then when the Brinks truck came in, then we, all the other sports, we tried to get that level. So that you're talking about years and years of preparing to make that move then. Yeah, huh? but it's, yeah, it's not that complicated because ours was much easier. You know, we consciously did some things to get – you know, I was on a lot of NCAA committees, not just because I felt I should, but because it gave me access to the different ADs. And we'd always talk and, you know, they all knew about us and our presidents uh, would chat with, you know, other people because, yeah, sidebar this, I want to bet with our presidents. But when we got into Pac-12, we eventually got into the AAU academic area. So the building process wasn't complicated. We would get together and say, OK, what do we have to do to get better? What do we have to do to look like these schools? And there's no timeline, but we might as well do those things anyway. So it wasn't like we're going to keep going no matter what happened. I mean, you know, like you said that, you know, Rick Majerus and Urban and Kyle followed suit. That's for sure. When you would speak to donors about facility improvements, did did you talk about conference upgrade? More we talked about we want to be in the top 25 and this is how we're going to get there. And some people that I knew close, they'd ask me, I said, well, you know, it doesn't take brain surgery to understand that that's where we'd like to be. But, you know, we got to be happy where we are and we got to win. That actual conversation with the Pac-10 at the time, how involved was that? Did it did it veer into the media value of Salt Lake City? Like in today's world, we're talking about television households and market size all the time. But I'm curious, you know, Larry Scott's the commissioner, the, the, the CEO group is obviously part of that. There were media partners. How involved was that actual discussion and negotiation? Well, there's a little bit of reality here, I've got to say. You, you have to know who you are, all right? So we really didn't have any leverage until Colorado, you know, they became interested, and that was greatly in our benefit. But we made sure that they knew about us, which they did, and maybe gave them information again to make it easy. But these are smart people. The presidents aren't going to be tricked by, 
the University of Utah. We didn't do some magic show with them. We just let them know who we are. And, you know, there was no, like, they knew our, you know, we would send the stuff about our TV market and all that, but we kind of knew that was just information. It wasn't like somebody said, oh, wow, their market's bigger than I thought it was. Let's get them in. You know, it wasn't that type of thing. So it, we did we did things that would make it easy for them to get us in if they wanted to. No, and, there were no tricks, no tricks. So Larry Scott took over in summer of 20, 2009. And I believe, you know, the the kind of move to consider expansion was probably, you know, after his first year. So we're talking about yeah. fall of 2010, winter of 2010, 11. Do you remember any of the any of the details of how the whole thing unfolded over the course of that must have been about nine nine ten months i remember everything john (laughs) okay let's let's be honest i mean that was that was uh you know the biggest step for us it was nirvana if we can get in and you know it intensified our discussion with with larry and with other presidents and with colorado and so and as a Mountain West school, we had no exposure. You know, if we got caught, if I got caught talking to Larry Scott or visiting with him, that wouldn't have been a problem because everybody said, hey, if, you know, that if any school in the Mountain West would have wanted to be in the Pac-12. So, you know, there was nothing tricky there, you know, but we planned, it really intensified then. Your your football success, you'd had, you know, obviously some really good seasons and some good runs and momentum there. How did that factor in you presenting as ready to compete in the in the Pac-12? And then beyond that, you know, what investments did you have to make after you got the green light? It's kind of funny because we were making investments all along to hit our conversation earlier. So and it was somewhat to Pac-12, but it was to win in the Mountain West. And you know, one of the things that happened, it happened to us twice, really. So we're in the process of building our football center, and which we love right now. It's a hell of a facility. But it was a $16 million one. And all of a sudden, we get invited, and it becomes a $32 million one. So we had never borrowed any money. So we had $16 million in fundraising. But whoops, all of a sudden, we got a bond. And, and that happened in the transition. Our basketball one, there was no mandate. But we all knew that we had to compete. So that was the right thing to do. And we made sure that uh, the other people in the league knew we had all the right toys to be part of the league. Did you get the sense, and I don't know how many conversations that you had specifically with Pac-12, Pac-10 presidents and chancellors at the time, but how much do you think they weighed the academic piece, the institutional fit versus your success on the field and on the court. Yeah, I think that had to put us in the ball game. You know, I think that without uh, the type of school we we are, and like I said, the medical center and all that and our location, those two things put us in the game. Then it was up to athletics to make sure we were in the game athletically too. You know, and it was very clear to me that that gave us a chance to be in the ball game. Those two items, and I cannot diminish those at all. Chris, as you watch what the Pac-12 is doing today, and you know the the weight that we are all making as San Diego State, SMU, maybe some others are are trying to figure out where they fit. You know, you're assessing that landscape. If you could put your Pac-12 thinking cap on, and you know, think like the commissioner or the presidents and chancellors. Um, what should the Pac-12 be interested in and what, what should they value right now in order to advance the conference and make it more attractive? Well, I think they need to make it, you know, as stable as they can. We have to take a breath, though, because, you know, who knows what's going to happen in the next few years. Maybe people are going to move quickly. You know, the San Diego State thing, not because they're in the Final Four, but that kind of interests me. And we've listed all the things. But if you when you take the two L.A. schools out of there, maybe that makes San Diego State much more attractive playing us and, you know, Stanford and Washington and Oregon. That may make them more attractive. I know, uh, I don't know enough about their academics. I know some people are confused, maybe that, but, you know, as good as we were, once we got in the Pac-12, we became better. Our attendance, our admissions uh, went up, the, the, the graduation rate up. We then got into the AAU a few years after, and that's the Nirvana for a president university, it's 
you know, one of the top 65 schools in the country. So it helped us get better. So San Diego State has some interest to me. Uh, I by no means know uh, what their conversations are. I have no idea if the presidents, and I think they might want to wait and see what their contract is. I have a little challenge with SMU, to be honest with you, if, if since I'm no longer the AD, I can be honest. Not that I wasn't honest before, excuse me. I've just avoided things. But um, they don't bring that market. I don't know why everybody thinks you need to go in pairs because you did when we went in because you had to have 12 for a playoff. But now you don't. And when Penn State joined the Big Ten, they were 11 for a while. So part of me says, you know, let's, let's, you know, Sania shit has some really nice things. Now there are some drawbacks. You know, they're not it in Southern California, but I think they warrant some good looking at. Um, but I do think that, uh, they do need some good looking at. I think maybe uh, the presidents may want to take a breath. Yeah. On that note, that I've I've been you know I've talked to presidents and chancellors. John Wilner's talked to presidents and chancellors, and I've tried to explain to people that you know they often don't think like fans. Can you help us? Like you've worked for presidents and good ones at Utah, and give us an idea of how the people in that room may be thinking that the rest of us don't understand or maybe can't quite grasp? Um, it depends on the president, I guess. A very Obviously, very smart people uh, in tune with it. And I think sometimes the presidents need to involve a little bit of athletic thinking into this thing, you know, and be able to be somewhat savvy with the difference. So I worry about that a little bit. And, and I think the presidents sometimes don't understand, and I don't mean this, the intensity and the timeline of these things. I mean, we could wake up tomorrow and anything could change and you could be left behind. And so I think it's their thinking about the university and they should, and they think about the long-term uh, image of their school. And I think that the PAC-12 is, one of the finest brands in the country as an institution. You've got the Ivy League, you've got the Big Ten, and you've got the Pac-12. Those are academic institutions. Not that the others aren't, but if you ask that image around the country, you'd say that. And whether you like it or not, who you're associated with affects you academically. And that's where a president may think. Because, you know, when I say... Uh, MIT and I say Harvard, that doesn't ring as much as I say Harvard, Yale. I mean, if I asked you one of those questions, you would say Harvard, Yale right away. And that's because they're athletically related. And it's really nice for us to be, you know, to say Cal, Utah, and rather than Utah, somebody else. So the presidents need to look at the whole global thing, but they need to know, man, it could happen tomorrow. When it's fourth and one, you can't have a committee meeting or a task force, you got to do it. Chris, were you surprised about USC and UCLA? Yes, yes, I was. And then I look back to some meetings we had earlier, and you know they were the only, we were the only league at that time that didn't share equally. But we're also the only major league that has a gigantic one market. You know, the Big Ten doesn't have, you know, God bless Rutgers, my alma mater, but they don't own New York City. And, <laughs> You know, and a great academic institution uh, and athletically when I was there. But, you know, the, there's no major market. And we kind of had a little bit of struggle going on in the beginning because, and rightfully so, when I look back on it, you know, the, the L.A. area is just different, you know. And, you know, when Larry said, if we get to a certain spot on our first bid, then we'll share equally. But we got to that spot. But you always kept thinking, you know, they're they're really giving up a lot. You know, when when they tried to make us all pool our money or even our AT&T money, I mean, that screws the L.A. area. So I think they were kind of edgy about the whole thing. And if if I could start life over again about the fifth year in, I said, let's talk about this. But I don't know. In this business, I don't know if they're going to be so upfront. So I was worried towards the end of my time thinking, hmm. This next thing comes around, I wish we would have sat down with, well, in retrospect, it could have been different, but they would have gone. I just, I don't see UCLA uh, benefiting in terms of budgets. 
Do you think, because I look at, you know, the Big 12 had tons of problems with Texas and uh, unequal mm-hmm. revenue sharing. But do you think for the Pac-12 moving forward, unequal share of either the primary broadcast revenue or of postseason revenue, especially given what the playoff, the expanded playoff is going to churn out. Do you think the conference should seriously consider one or both of those strategies? Well, I think they should consider it. The difference now is there's not one market that's so much bigger, you know, so that's a little bit different. You may want to do some things on the success of your programs because success brings higher uh, interest nationally on TV and whatever. But uh, I'm not as sure now because what I talked to you about earlier, there's no really dominant, dominant market. We, we've looked at, you know, the path to this point, and, and I guess we've all kind of tried to unpack how did they end up here? You mentioned unequal revenue sharing. Are there other factors that you think put the Pac-12 on the path to where it is today? <sighs> I, I think most of it was about money. Most of it was about money. Uh, you know, all the schools that have changed leagues, uh, we've been very fortunate. We were the only, if you wait for a minute, the only non-BCS school that went to a major conference. The only one of all those things. Some switch conferences, you know, TCE switched from Big East to uh, Big 12. But you look at all those schools that have trans- have walked in, are they better off on the field? You know, and as an AD, that's where you stand, you know. And uh, it's interesting. Will, will UCLA, uh, you know, and USC, I mean, USC might be better off football than uh, UCLA, although they're great. I don't want to have any disparaging thing there. I just worry about those schools moving and how much it's doing for them. Nebraska doesn't feel great right now, I can tell you that even though they got plenty of money in their bank account. Yep. The Pac-12 networks, when when this, you know, became a thing, uh, I've talked to other ADs who say that, you know, that we were presented three different tiers. It could be this, it could be this, could be A, B, or C. And and Bob DeCarolis, the former Oregon State AD, said he nearly performed a cartwheel coming out of that meeting when, when he realized the revenue that yeah. could be there. What was that experience like when, when the conference said, hey, we're going to form a network, here's what it's going to be, you were, you were in that room. Yeah, a couple of things that, that um, happened upon us. It was, it was put on to the 80s. This is what we're doing. I'm sitting there coming from the Mountain West and saying, guys, this failed in the Mountain West. Okay. And it's the same model. You know, so from the start, I felt a little skeptical. But then I was so enthused about it. it's the Pac-12. It'll change the dial rather than some other schools in the Mountain West. So I'm like... Yeah, this would be good. And uh, we all vividly remember that meeting. And I vividly remember, I was so frustrated, and people don't get this. Our university thought we are rolling in money. They thought we're going to be a a grant writer for the university. And then we thought the middle and the high, we thought, hey, this is great. Well, we went below the low. And, but on our campus, it was hard sometimes to deal with faculty, although they like our program. To say, no, 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 we're not loaded. And it even was that way when I changed presidents. We changed presidents, not I. That they would think that one way. And it was that made it difficult. So it was really, you're right on the mark. That's why I said earlier, you guys have done your homework on that one. Chris, how much did you sell? Because I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that whether it's SMU or San Diego State or, or any school, right? Aren't the presidents thinking about that as a chip to play down the road it's it's all right what are you going to do for us in the near term but it's also what could you be you know what could utah be in the pac-12 after six or eight years what could san diego state or smu be down the road is that you think that's that was part of the that play? was one of our strength zones to be honest you know once people found out it they find more about us we always tease it's a three-year rule you come in here and stay for three years you're here for 20 you know, we have a lot of players stay. So we really had a blue sky ahead of us. And that's one of the things that made us dream that we could do this. And uh, but our institution got better. Our programs, you know, won, especially in the big sports. So I think the league did see us and a growing a growing market and a market that's very college driven. I mean, attendance is great in this state. And, yep. you know, but people buy a lot of T-shirts here and a lot of Pac-12 stuff. So long answer. But they saw us as blue sky, that we'd be different 
And we are different than we were. There's no question. I think San Diego State and SMU, like when you picture what those schools could be in six or eight years of Pac-12 play, do you see potential there? I see potential there. And again, I, I don't want to beat up either school because they're both, I mean, SMU is a great school and a great place in another TV market. Uh, but do they run that market? I mean, there's, uh, I don't see that. I do see San Diego State as a school that could grow uh, athletically, but also academically. But I don't know the UC system feeling about that. You know, I don't know if that's, yeah. you know, there are two divided systems. Yes. And there's a lot of pride in the UC system, which there should be. I was just reading an article the other day about applications to UC schools. I mean, all of them are going up and the battle between Berkeley and UCLA is not the only one. So they are really different. And that one might be a tough pill to swallow for the for the presidents in the UC system. And also, you know, Stanford has that same pride in the system and Washington does. And so I'm not saying they're a bad school, but I'm saying they if you're asking the future, they got a chance to be better athletically and a chance to maybe feel like they're part or the presidents feel like they're part of the academic image and reality of the schools. There, there was, you know, you've been through the expansion process as a member, Utah joining the Pac-12. Uh, we're now watching the arc of it happening again, and there's a lot of frustration with the timeline. Uh, also, the media rights deal, uh, fans and media expecting this deal is going to get done, going to get done. It's pushed back. It's pushed back. And But we don't really have a context for, for what a media deal and what expansion, you know, what the timeline is. Can you give us some insight into that? Like, you've been through it. How long did that process take when you joined and when the Pac-12 last negotiated a deal, uh, you know, more than a decade ago, did it drag on like this? Uh, it wasn't so public. You know, I, I was right on the beginning of that, so they may have done everything, but any contract with the media uh, or any kind of contract takes a long time to get down the nuts and bolts, especially with this one, because they're talking about streaming and a lot of unknowns. So. I think it's really, really much more complicated than it was 10 years ago. 10 years, it was linear or build your own station. It was not, you know, crazy that way. And now it's, whoa, and they're moving around. And, you know, it's all about football. I, I, in some ways, I wish we just fix football uh, in terms of what it's, where it's going to go. We all know it's going to go to fewer schools. And if that destroys leagues for the other sports, but nobody cares about the other sports, in public they do care but it's all about football let's fix football and then figure it out but so what's the answer what do you think the answer is chris for the football question especially it relates to the power five and also the you know fbs five ten years what do you what do you see as the the uh the answer uh, here's my reality that i think and i this sounds maybe crazy but every department now in a power five school football is a separate department it really is. They have their own buildings. You have this. And God bless it. That's the way it is. Football's crazy with uh, TV interest and all that. We all know basketball is not as big. My mind, I wish somehow there'd be a czar of football. Take the ones that are really making money, the ones that, you know, the top 45 or 50, find, build your own system, your own AD, your own everything, and then let the other sports do their thing. And because I think that's where it's going. It's consolidating. Uh, you know, it's a big, big business. You know, I tell people we have 19 operations in sports and we have one business and 18 charities. So it's a different place. And I wish they would just figure it out. Maybe have two leagues, Big Ten and SEC. And but they better be ones that make money because there are people acting like they make money and they don't. It, it almost sounds like you're describing you know, an existence in which football was not part of the Title IX calculation, right? I would have to think that would be the case. Although, you know, I don't know how those, I, I feel bad because, you know, the, the scholarships are going well, whatever, but, you know, we're spending so much money on football um, that it's just reality. And, and I, by no means, I got, four granddaughters and they're all going to be athletes. And my wife was and my daughter was. And so that's the challenge. But, you know, 
I think it's a deep, dark challenge right now. I think if you put all the money into things and some of these bowl games we go to and spend money that maybe would be hard to see the light of day. You know, it's not the salaries because the salaries has been proved by courts is is really on, you know, market driven. You know, if you're the sixth best team in the league, you, you ought to be paid about in that range of the six best coaches. But the Title IX thing is a challenge. But my trouble is reality is just like reality is we're going to have players make money on NIL 10 years ago. My reality, and that's just me not talking to too many people, is just that football is such a different operation. Uh, and it truly is a business with only about 40 schools. Kyle Whittingham is uh, on a remarkable stretch here. The continuity with that coaching staff is amazing, and Utah's obviously got a bunch of success from it. But you were there when you know there were some cries for Kyle's job, and he had, he had had a couple of years where he had maybe gone sideways a little bit. What made you stay with Kyle Whittingham, and how important was your president at that time being on board with uh, seeing what you see? Well, I was very fortunate, uh, you know, Towards the last couple of years, it maybe was more bureaucratic, but I was very fortunate that the presidents gave me a lot of leeway. And one of the very first presidents I had when I fired a coach and then hired Rick, he says, you know, this is 90 percent you and 10 percent me. I'm trying to figure out how to give my 10 percent to you. And so <laughs> I I felt at that time, which is true. He said that to me and I laughed. I said, I know, I know, uh, which is fine with me, you know, because that's what you get paid for. But Kyle, you know. It was going in a tough direction, but we also were moving, recruiting into a different world. And you, and it was hard to say that. And I just felt like, Kyle, let's give it another year. I'm just three in a row. That's hard. You know, but I felt like we were starting to get players that looked the same as the other players in the league. And I thought, let's give it a shot. And <laughs> glad I did. Did you did you figure that it could get to this point? No, no. Did I? When we had the press conference, the Rose Bowl people were there, and I kind of was joking. I said, "Hey, hey, fans, the Rose Bowl's here." And I said it again, "Rose Bowl's here." Well, I thought, you know, that's your dream, and that's what we wanted, and nobody ever would deny it. And I was delusional enough when I was working there to think, "Yeah, we can get to the the Rose Bowl." And we did. So, I mean, who thought we'd beat Alabama in the Sugar Bowl? That that moment where you see the Rose Bowl births and then a back-to-back birth, uh, to you, even though you're out of the offices, you have to feel a measure of, uh, you know, a measure of success and gratitude when you when you see that happen. Yeah, it was uh, – I didn't go this year, but, uh, you know, I went uh, a year ago when we played Ohio State and – and when I left, I just made a little agreement with the president in writing that I would get these kind of seats. And if we went to a big time thing, I'd be able to buy things at the highest level. For me, it was the very best bowl game I ever went to because there was I didn't have to put a shirt and tie on. I didn't have to go to a phony banquet. And people were so nice to me just about what you said. It was really, really fun. You know, and I was very I, I fashion myself as somebody who doesn't get puffed up on things, but. If I was going to get puffed up, that would be a couple of days I would. You know, I think we've talked about this before, but, you know, George Klyovkov comes in as the new commissioner. He immediately says he wants to be really collaborative. He brings the 80s into the room. He, you know, does the listening tour. And I thought to myself, gosh, the old 80s that worked with Larry Scott, they probably envy that. I think that was one of Larry's big mistakes is that he looked past you guys. It, what was that like to try to to be an AD at that time and have a commissioner who was probably more in tune with his bosses than the ADs who were actually making boots on the ground decisions. It was really, really frustrating. Uh, presidents would never make decisions without che checking with their deans. Okay. And ADs were the deans or the vice presidents. It was so foreign to me of top down. I mean, I always felt, and not yay me, but some of the staff would get upset that I would have the coaches help me give any advice on when did they get their room and board checks? When did they do this? And they knew when the players needed it. But And, and I feel so strong about it. It's so frustrating because there were things that were brought up that were like on, 
you know, what the hell? Well, I might as well give you one. So all of a sudden, we go to a meeting and it's a, depart, a, a, a conference-wide drug testing policy. We're all going, what? Well, Larry had talked to the presidents. It all sounded good. We go into the meeting and we're all going, why? And, it, and they're all going, we have different universities. We don't, well, you know, I think Woody said, you know, well, we're worried about you guys thinking about uh, an advantage on the competitive part. We're going, what? I said, wait a minute. You can, you know, you can smoke dope and buy it in Colorado and in Utah. You better be careful, you know? And so it was about a five-minute discussion that we were like, if you asked us first, that would be done. And those are just, that's just a really tiny example but just the kind of thing that was so frustrating, so frustrating. The conference office, uh, you're getting me off on this. The conference office is not to promote the conference. The conference office is to help the schools get better and win. If you win and the schools get better, the conference get recognition. You know, so top down didn't work. It's bottom up. Help the youths be great nationally, not have a commercial. <laughs> Never mind. I'm too much. <laughs> Well, so, Chris, what do you think going forward, if you're advising the conference office, what, you know, what should they be doing? What could they be doing to help promote the schools? Well, I, I think, first of all, the presidents have decisions to make. They and some of those are big, big, big ones that they may feel that the ADs are biased, but there's a everyday decisions that make sense. You know, so. The league should be getting up every day say, how do I promote, again, I'm talking little things, but it gives you an example. How do I help the University of Utah on campus selling tickets or on campus with their faculty? How do we do those things rather than top down? And, you know, we had all these commercials on the Pac-12 network. We all know you can divvy them up by market. Why am I watching a commercial on Pac-12 when I should be sitting in Boulder watching a com commercial on my Colorado team or my Utah team are trying to sell. It's all about the mindset of I get up every day. How am I going to help that school win? You know, not how am I going to make the league look better? You know, I'm getting off on some things, but Larry could talk the presidents into things that sounded really good. And the presidents wanted to be an innovative league. All right. And I'm more great academics. Why don't we win? Utah's got an interesting dynamic with leadership with Taylor Randall who understands sports Mark Harlan who has been there and seen the growth I think that's a tremendous advantage can you speak to that a little bit you know when you have that kind of congruency of vision at the top of an athletic department how advantageous is that yeah it's it's great you know and the the president's got to be careful to be too much of a cheerleader because then the faculty are get on you and then all of a sudden when the faculty are on you because they're all jealous. Not all many are jealous of athletics because they think we're flowing in money and all this stuff. So it's really great to have it. And sometimes with the board of trustees and those people, it's almost better that the president's really big in those meetings and out front, but out front saying, this is what I like the athletic directors doing. This is what I like Mark doing. Yeah, I'm supportive of that. So they got it, I think. You know, I'm not in those meetings all the time, but I think they have it. Chris, I know you have followed the the media industry very, very closely over the years. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you see in terms of the streaming component, whether it's just for college sports in general, Pac-12's media deal? It, it seems like they got to make a decision based on what media consumption is going to be like in five years, not right now. What what do you see? Well, they, they talk about the five-year plan. One of the greatest articles I read in graduate school was the Harvard Review said the, the art of uh, muddling through. So we have a five-year plan, but if our five-year plan looks the same in five years, we didn't react to the environment. So you've got to be loose. And the problem with streaming is it's not going as well. You know, Netflix, I don't think is making the kind of money they thought they would, or they're having to do advertisements. So it is really scary. I mean, unless, you know, it's, I watch a lot of movies on, you know, the Netflix, not a lot, but if I watch a movie, it's on a Netflix or Apple TV or something. 
So it's there and you can get it everywhere in the country. So I can see why they're dabbling with that. I just feel sorry for him because who knows what's going to come next. I mean, Disney just dropped a bunch of people today. I know that because my son works for ESPN. So, <laughs> Right, which is part of the reason why I figure you had, you know, you've been paying close attention to uh, to the streaming piece. Right. And they, you know, yeah. they, they've got to they got to try to do their best guess on the linear versus the streaming uh, calculation, especially for, you know, the tier one football games, right? Yeah, I would grill him as much as I could when I was EAD, but he wouldn't tell me anything that was worth any value. <laughs> he didn't want, he wanted to keep his job, which he's done a great job and that's wonderful for him. But uh, the whole streaming thing is, is going to happen. Let's be honest. And I think the exposure may be bigger than we think, better than the Pac-12 network. I think it might. Well, let's go back to the Pac-12 network. Is there Chris, in your mind, is there an exit here for the Pac-12 network? You know, let's just say it ends up being the saving grace. You know, was it all worth it? Or do you look back and go, there were still so many mistakes that were made with distribution early on. It should have been approached completely differently. And, you know, they're lucky to get out of this and, and have that be an asset. Because clearly, like, women's basketball, I think, has benefited from the network and some other sports as well. Yeah, we that you're getting back to one of my frustrations with the network is we really couldn't ask questions that seemed negative. You know, I'm big on, you know, trying to be the devil's advocate. And you're sitting there saying, now, do we really need eight, 800 games in a year? Do we really need seven networks? Can will we make more money net net if we did that? You know, you just couldn't really get into those questions. Or, you know, I said, if after five years, if we're such a bad business, you know, let's go belly up and start a new one. You know, let's go bankrupt if that's how it is. But not that that was the answer. The point of this is we on the ground could answer some questions, you know, and, you know, the, hey, the ratings for this game versus this game are no different. Why do we, why don't we alternate this? It's our own network. Who decides who's on TV? I thought if it's our network, we could decide. But those are, I don't know, I got off on another thing, but I, I don't know how that happened. I just thought, once we got into it, it just didn't seem to be the model because we couldn't sell it. You know, you have your house up for sale and you love your house and it doesn't sell, doesn't. Four years later, you might say to yourself, well, maybe maybe we're charging too much for this house. Or maybe we should, a, a question asked, which I may get laughed off, but I think you're supposed to ask questions like that. Maybe we could have reduced the fee for Comcast to the point where DirecTV maybe wanted it and the net net would be the same, you know, but... That's not a brilliant thing. That's just the question. That's all. Do, Chris, do you remember when ESPN offered to basically take over the Pac-12 network and sign the conference to a, a long-term deal? It was like 2018-19? Well, I know, I know about that. I, I, I don't want to get into too much of that. Gotcha. Okay. Can you tell us like maybe the, why you don't want to get into it? Is it... Is it hit too close to home or is it? Yeah, well, it's, I mentioned earlier that, you know, I, I had my son who worked there and yeah. I, you know, we just, I just stayed away from it. Yeah. Okay. Because I didn't want to be involved, but I've heard from other folks that that was reality. It was a reasonable price and it got turned down. That's what I understand. Wow. And not from who I said, but from others. Yeah. And I think that's the case. And I think it was involved as ego and couldn't admit we made a mistake and all those things. You know, if if you had an office that called you on your stuff, that's where I benefited more than any other AD in the country. I had people around me really, you act like you want to be told when you're full of it as a boss. People don't. But from, for some reason, I did. I don't know why. Well, I think that's so fortunate. That's strong leadership, isn't it? Like if you can have your circle challenge you and, you know, and you can still justify the decisions, you feel better about the decision, right? Well, first of all, if I'm making a decision about, you know, uh, marketing, I'm not the expert, you know, but I have my questions and I know different things. And I think, but people talk about that. And I can give you tons of examples where I was, uh, pulled off the shelf from jumping into a big problem by two or the three, two or three or four of the people around me that told me that. And that sounds like BS, 
But I can tell you examples of things that have happened at other places, uh, universities in general, where they all say the emperor has no clothes. I want to have somebody tells me they don't want to have that. They just want yes people. And I, I told Rick Majerus one time, I said, Rick, uh, you had a hundred meetings this year. He pulled his nose like that. And uh, I said, 20 weren't good. Because yeah, I know, I know, I know. He was a little more language than that. And I'd say, yeah, but you know which ones? He kind of looked at me and went, huh. I said, yeah, your assistant coaches didn't feel comfortable coming up to you and say, coach, you lost it on that one. You better recover with the players. That's a simple coaching example. But anyway, you know, there's, I just felt that nobody was saying, hey, this wasn't good. Let's take a little less money. Let's take reality. Let's get attached to ESPN. Let's go do something, you know. And again, that's coming from other folks I know. I would never, ever have talked to, you know, my inside situation because it was never inside as much as it made me angry. Chris, before we let you go, we we ask all our guests if they could relay the the best advice, best professional, personal advice you ever got. Well, I'll tell you how I got the best advice. Okay. So I and I I still to this day it changed everything for me. We went to our first meeting with the with the WAC, and I you can translate this other ways. The one we just talked about is the most important once you're running an operation after a while, is having that input. It's leadership and your ego got to be at the door, which is also very high levels of leadership. When I first started, there were four people in the um, WAC uh, and, you know, uh, Fred Miller, uh, late Fred Miller, who was Arizona State and then he went to San Diego State. Stan Sheriff, who was at Hawaii, 60 something years old. Uh, Paul Roach, the great coach from Wyoming, who was a person and John Clune. John and Stan have the basketball in the arenas named after them. They're all tough, hard guys. And, you know, I came walking in there and I probably looked about 11 and we got done. And I said to those guys that they were going to the bar and they were, they were tough. They must've played with leather helmets. Some of them, they were tough guys, fun guys, smart guys. And I said, Hey, can I come to the bar with you? They kind of looked at me cause they didn't know, you know, I still had a little bit of my Jersey accent, but not as much. We sat down with them. And I said, guys, I'm, gonna, I'm buying the drinks and I'm not reseeding it, putting the receipt into the university because it's Utah and I might be in trouble. I said, but I need some help. I'm just new at this and I need some help. And I became their boy. You know, they got me on every important committee. And it was like, let people know when you need some help and get some, you know, and don't be afraid that it's going to act like you know what you're doing because you got to stand up and make decisions. And that's what you got to do. But at the same time, you know, other people can help you and they want to help you as long as they know you're not some ego guy in a way. So that was my very first meeting. And those mentors became everything to me because they were older guys and I was only 37 and they were in their 60s. And they helped me so much. So is that corny? No, it's I think it's no. great advice. I think Fantastic. it was just it was fun. And yeah. We had, of course, they had more rounds of drink than money I had, but I had to fake that too. <laughs> Chris, so. uh, we really appreciate you doing this. Uh, I know a lot of the Pac-12 listeners are anxious about what's going to happen, and uh, I think voices like yours are important. You've been in those meetings. You've been in those rooms. You've seen the arc of this story, and so I appreciate you making time for us. Yeah, I just hope that uh, these schools stay there. It's a wonderful, wonderful league in every way where you live, where you do this, where you do that. And it's just wonderful. And I appreciate you guys doing your research. You guys do a good job. I'm not blowing smoke at you. You know, I, I feel like you you guys do great. So thank you. Thanks, Chris Hill. Appreciate Thanks so it. much, Chris. All right. Have a great day. Okay, Wilner, uh, I thought that was fascinating. And I thought we would do 25, 22 minutes. And uh, I just had so many follow-up questions for him. Fascinating stuff on the inner workings of the Pac-10, Pac-12 at that time. The, the work that was put in to get Utah in the position that it's in, I think it's just incredibly valuable for the rest of us to hear that. Yeah, oh, and for San Diego State fans, you know, and SMU fans, just kind of a look inside. The other thing that struck me is you can tell he is still frustrated and still hurts on a, on <laughs> some level 
by the mistakes that were made by the previous Pac-12 administration and what the, the trajectory that those mistakes sent the league on, you can tell he's still hurt oh, yeah. by it. Uh, you think? Like, I, I think that if he could go back, I think a lot of the ADs and the presidents, if they could go back, like, look, the presidents enabled Larry Scott. Let's be clear. Like, the old guard presidents at that time, uh, for whatever reason, they didn't see it. They were uh, sucked into, hey, we got a great TV deal right out of the gates. I don't know what it was, but, you know, maybe Larry Scott just did a magnificent job of managing up. And, you know, it didn't matter what the ADs and it didn't matter what the fans and the coaches thought. It All that mattered were the votes of those 12 you know, presidents that sat on the CEO group, his bosses that kept extending him and extending him and prolonging this path that they're on. But yeah, you can tell that Chris Hill did not appreciate that leadership. And I think, I don't think he's alone. I mean, when you, you talk to a lot of the old guard ADs, they did not like that he looked through them. He looked past them. He waved them off. He disregarded them. It was a, it was a leadership mistake. He leaned on people who didn't know what they were doing with, with regard to the presidents and media strategy because they don't know you know the presidents have no idea and he was able to take advantage of that and you know install himself as a media executive overseeing a wholly owned network that had one national and six regional feeds and lots of expenses and and it was you know and like like chris mentioned they're, they're still paying the price for that decision i mean it's like a fable right it's like aesop should do a fable about Larry Scott and the Pac-12 conference. I mean, he wasn't a dumb guy. He was a smart guy. He was a great negotiator, but he was looking out for his interests, not the best interests of the Pac-12 conference. I believe that. And, you know, and I think that it is a it should be a study in leadership across the Pac-12 footprint. When they when they uh, you know, business schools across the Pac-12, they should be uh, you know, teaching Larry Scott 101. Like, you know, here's how, here's how to alienate your constituents. Here's how to uh, put your business on the path to uh, destruction and and uh, laugh to the bank all the way while doing it. But you can tell that Chris Hill and probably some other ADs at that time uh, are still unhappy with what happened. But I thought that was a fantastic interview, one of our best ever. And I appreciate everybody who listens to this podcast. Shoot us some feedback. Share it with other Pac-12 fans that are going to care about this. Uh, and make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. And we'll be back with another episode next week. For uh, John Wilner and uh, for our guest, Chris Hill, I'm John Canzano. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks, everyone.